<laughs> Amen. It's good to have you all in the house of the Lord today. We serve such a good God. He, he loves us so much. He is not a distant God as we saw at during offering. And uh, I just want you to know that he, he wants us to operate in his kingdom. He wants us to be able to do that naturally. Uh, when Jesus came, he said that the kingdom of heaven is among you. And then he just began to heal people and calm the seas and feed people supernaturally. And I just, I just know that same power is available for us. And as we've looked at the kingdom of God, we spent a good solid eight weeks on just the invisible kingdom, learning about principles of the kingdom. I uh, gave you six weeks of what it looked like to be men of the kingdom. And now we've been looking at women of the kingdom. And there's a, there's a part of our society that is near and dear to my heart. And it, it is, it's been under attack for a long time. And that is the marriage of men and women. Marriage itself has been under attack. And there's some things that God says in His Word about marriage that may not necessarily today be uh, popular. But how many of you realize that God's ways are the ways that set us free. And a lot of times when we think we got a better idea than God, we find that we get bound when we go that way. And I believe in so many ways, not only in our own nation, but all over the world, um, marriages are struggling because there's, there's information being sent out, whether it's over the airwaves of television or social media, things like that, that people feel like they've got a better idea than God, but it's ending up with a lot of trouble. And it's only right that it would because it's not God's way. And so I want to share with you today, I've titled the message, Women of the Kingdom, Marriage. And uh, kind of lighten things up just a little bit. While attending a marriage seminar about communication, there was a couple there named Tom and Grace. And uh, as they're listening to the instructor, the instructor says, it is essential that wives and husbands, or that rather that husbands know what their wives like and what is important to them. And so he addressed the men, and he said, can you men in this room describe your wife's favorite flower? And Tom leaned over and touched his wife's arm gently, and he said, it's Pillsbury, right? How many of you think that man needs to listen a little bit, a little closer? Because women are not thinking of Pillsbury when you talk about flowers or flower. But marriage and family... They're frequently idealized, yet many have come to realize it's not always easy. And that the ideal can be, it can turn into an ordeal. To the point where some people say, I want a new deal. And uh, the general statistic as you look at marriage for marriages to end in divorce, 
in America, it's roughly 50%. So I just want you to walk with me on this. A large part then of the 50% who stay together, they stay together a lot of times too for reasons other than their relationship, such as convenience or finances or the kids. Now, based on that reality, I want you to to walk with me on this a minute. I want to ask you this question. Is 50% of, or rather, if 50% of all airplanes crashed, wouldn't you be extra careful about flying? I mean, that's one in every two that you would get on. So if you fly four times a year, that means you might crash twice, give or take. Yet roughly one of every two marriages ends in divorce, and we still have people rushing to the altar to get married on often nothing more than emotion. In sight. And I just want to say today that all of you that are married know this, but what starts out with sight quickly can change. What starts out with emotion can quickly get problematic. And if the foundation is wrong, there's going to be trouble. And um, everybody okay? I'm going to lighten it up again. How many ever watched Hee Haw back in the day? Well, there was a lady on there, and her name was Minnie Pearl. You remember her? She had a little sales tag on her, on her hat. She said this about marriage. She says, marriage is a lot like a tub of hot water. Once you get in, it isn't as hot as you thought. <laughs> Went over some of your heads, right? In other words, what she was saying is there's an ideal of what marriage is, but once you get in it, it's not always that way. I just want you to understand something about marriage. You're going to have difficulty in it. I don't care who you are. You can be the most saved Christian on the planet, and you are going to encounter troubles in the marriage waters. But it doesn't mean you chuck out the marriage with the water. It means you learn how to sail through the storms. It means you learn how to man the sails. It means you learn how to have the different roles that you're designed to take on. And I just want you to understand something. Ladies, there are things you can do we will never as a man be able to do. And I've talked to the men about that. There is an emotional side of ladies a guy just doesn't get. We just don't get it because we're not wired that way. But we need you. The children need that. But there's also the dad is wired not that way because there are times when the child is going to need that and not the emotional part. That child's going to need somebody that is going to analyze, this is what we need to do here, and not just be tied up in the emotions of a mom. Can I get an amen? Are you with me? Or throw a hymnal book at me, or what, or something. You know, I mean, it is amazing to me today 
that there are, well, tomorrow this is going to happen, and it's going to happen all around this building because there's a middle school back behind us. And there is a, a point in time where parents are going to be dropping off their kids. And I just want you to understand that if there were not rules in place set by the middle school back there, a way to bring your kids in and where to drop them off, what street to use to exit, uh, when, when parents exit after t- dropping their kids off at school, if they're going to turn this way on Central, they have to use that street. You cannot go on this street and take a right. If you're on this street, you've got to take a left. If you're on that street, you've got to take a right. There's order in what could become chaos. And at some other schools, there will be a police officer. And that police officer may be there or a traffic guard, and they're going to just be using hand signals. They're going to be saying, for these people, you need to stop, and these people, you need to move on. Yet, If you think about it, all of those cars, they could literally just take that person out. Those cars are more powerful than that one person. Yet that one person has authority in that situation. And the one who is in authority, when they wave their hands, those cars will move. The drivers do what the police officer instructs them to do, and that's because that officer has been commissioned with the authority to rule over what would potentially be chaos if hundreds of cars carrying hundreds of children all tried to do their own thing. Can I hear an amen? Yet, that is the state often, of marriage. Let me give you another example. The chaos of 9-11. That day affected every one of us differently, but what we all had in common is that it brought a foreign concept up to us, up to that time to us, a foreign concept called terrorism, and it brought it to the forefront of our minds. It sent us then into the offense, and as a nation, we are offense, offense, we're in offense mode against terrorism. That's why now you have to go through the airports, and we have TSA, and you can't take the liquids, and all that stuff that happened. That, none of that was there. Y'all remember that? None of that was there before then. Um, and so, as it sent us into offense as a nation, Despite those efforts to bring peace and stability to areas that lack it, terrorists still continue to try and create chaos. Amen? And so they know that if they can keep chaos afloat, then they can limit the progress of freedom and strength in us as a country. Now let me segue into the spiritual. Satan has the same goal in mind when it comes to you living out a fully empowered life as a couple. And ladies, I'm going to speak specifically to you today because you're getting all kinds of signals from all over the place about what you need to be doing in marriage. Now, you can listen to what the world says to do, but I encourage you to hear the words of what God says to do today. And I just believe that 
if we will do that and not li- well, this is what it will be like if if we listen to what the devil s- d- says. It would be similar to a number of cars in the school drop-off lanes deciding to do their own thing to bring that back. Not, not stopping when the police officer said to stop, driving in the wrong lanes, even in the wrong direction, failing to slow down, any of those disruptions, even if it was from just one car, would create disruption for every other person because they've chosen to do their own thing. Are you hearing me today? You see, Satan knows that if he is going to cancel your capacity to manage this life well, he has to disrupt order. And he has to cause confusion. That's what he did in the garden. He disrupted order. Amen? And I want to remind you who it was the devil went to. He bypassed God's set order... And he went through the back door. Now, the reason he does this is because he knows that God operates in the context of unity. How many of you ever read where God loves unity? God can't work in a church that is disunified. But boy, he can do wonders in a place where there is unity. The Bible says where division exists, there's every evil thing. But where there's unity, brothers dwell together in brotherly love. You see, when God created man and woman, He established an alignment between Himself and them, as well as between them. Can I say this to you today? It is not wrong to be a man. If you're a man, be a man. We're called to do that. Men, we are not women. Just thought I'd tell you that. And women, you're not men. I love it that there is a difference. Because when God looked at Adam and he said, it's not good that he's alone, he gave him something so different from himself, yet he brought it out of himself. He put him to sleep, and when he got done, he saw himself. There was a part of his, his rib, there's a part of him that's now gone, but God says, now I'm going to give it back to you, but I'm going to give it back to you in a different way. And she's going to compliment you. She's going to be for you what you can't be yourself, because you cannot be all things. You see, everything else that God made, he made them male and female. There were male and female cows and horses and cats and wolves and on and on and on. But there was just Adam, male, and he said it's not good. Now, he wasn't saying that man wasn't good. He was just saying it wasn't good for him to be alone. Now, we talked about that, right? And do you know what? Since the garden, Satan has always been about role reversal. Say that, role reversal, kind of a tongue twister. Ever since the curse in the garden, 
Now, ladies, I'm going to talk to you and share, you, share with you what God spoke because of sin. You don't have to live under this curse because Jesus, the Bible says, freed us from the curse of the law. But I want you to, to see in the book of Genesis chapter 3, are you with me today? Verse 16, because in there we find God speaking to Eve, the results of her not following God's order. You see, God's order was that she should have, when, when she was being tempted by Satan, she should have gone to Adam. He was her protector. But he says to her, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. He said, I don't believe God intended a woman to go through pain to have a baby, according to word, the word of God. I believe that prior to sin, it would have been even a more awesome experience. Even though you forget the pain after you have the baby, that's what I hear anyway. I've never experienced that, but... I've had my hand nearly squeezed off during the delivery. Uh, that's the only pain I've ever gone through, and it happened to be on the finger that I had my ring on. And, oh, poor me. Don't all you women just care about my whining. You see, we can't, we can't relate with that. And y'all know that. Y'all let us know that. But he said, I'm going to multiply your pain in childbirth. That's number one, because of her part in sinning. He said there would be pain in childbirth. Number two, your desire will be for your husband. And number three, he will rule over you. Now, right here in 2022 America, I would be called misogynistic for just saying what I just said, and all I did is read the word. Now, I'm not trying to be misogynistic. I'm not saying men are better than women. I'm just simply saying what God said was going to happen because of the choice that Eve made. Now, some translations don't capture the true sense of the word desire. It says that we kind of get the part with your pain in childbirth is going to be, it's going to be increased, but your desire will be for your husband. When you look at that word in the Hebrew, it's only used three times in the Old Testament. It's used here in Genesis 4-7, or here in Genesis 3-16, again in Genesis 4-7, and then one more time in the Song of Songs in chapter 7 and verse 10. And there it carries a different sense. It's more of a physical desire. But these two areas, Genesis 3-16 and Genesis 4-7, is what the word is meaning here. It's the Hebrew word teshukah. Everybody say teshukah. You're speaking Hebrew. And it's only used three times. Now, I want you to see in verse 7 of chapter 4, this is where God speaks to Cain after he's killed his brother Abel. And he says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire, teshukah, is for you. But you must master it. 
You see, what he was saying to Cain here is that sin's desire is to wipe you out. It, it, wants, to, it wants to overpower you. It wants to be in control of you. So what God is telling Eve is because Eve took the lead in sinning, there were going to be consequences of judgment that God dealt to her physically and relationally. And the determination of her would be to yield to her husband and that he would rule over her. She had broken through her divinely appointed role as subordinate to her husband. She not only emancipated herself from the man, but she lied to her husband to do the same. God said, don't eat from the tree. So what happened is, is the devil came in through the back door, tried to reverse the roles, and the roles were reversed, and she led, and Adam followed. Do you see this? In the, in, in, when sin happened, she led, and then he followed. That's why the Bible says Eve was deceived, but it's even worse for Adam. He did it knowing he shouldn't do it, and now he's being led by his wife. And that is not the way God intended things to happen. Now, here's the reading in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 from other translations. I don't have this up there for you, but just hear this. The English Standard Version says this. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he'll rule over you. The NIV says, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. To the New English translation, it says to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your labor pains. With pain you will give birth to children. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. Now, that's even stronger. Now, it's important to understand, church, hear this, because I don't want to be wrongly judged here. All I've done is read the Scripture, but I want, to, I want to detail what it's saying to you. It's important to understand that this judgment only declares what will take place because of the sin. Why do weeds grow in the ground? Does any, has anybody gone out there and planted your weed seed this week? You know, you don't, have to, you don't have to plant the weeds. They just come up, and it's because of sin. So what happens is, is that God says that man and woman will now live in conflict, and their relationship is going to become problematic. Do you see it? But the statement that he shall rule over you or dominate you is another verse. It's not a biblical command from God for men to dominate women. I think that needs to be said. Can I get an amen from all the ladies? You so, see, here's where many men get this wrong, that it, 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 you know, woman submit. That's the wrong attitude, guys. Well, God said you're supposed to submit to me, and I'm the king of my house. Well, yeah, like Jesus is to the church. Are you treating her like Jesus treated the church? That would be my first question to the men. Guys, I've already talked to you about this, right? And you're like, hey, this is about the ladies. Just stay off us, right? But that it will happen 
don't raise your hands, but I would love to ask every couple, has this ever happened? Don't raise your hands. That it will happen is a result of the curse. But God also gave his ideal desire for man and woman for husband and wife. Christ-like qualities are emphasized in what I'm about to share with you. What the curse of sin, hear this like four ears on your head. What the curse of sin created, say this with me. What the curse of sin created, believers in Christ, kingdom men and women, are called to correct by living according to the Spirit and not the flesh. You see, you can raise your hands on this. How many of you are acquainted with flesh woman inside of you? Come on, all you ladies. I know. I'll help you raise your hands. I know you all know that lady, right? Guys, how many of you are acquainted with flesh man? He's not some superhero running around with some yellow cape uh, with a big F on his chest. That is not the guy you want to be, but that's sometimes the guy you are. And ladies, flesh woman is not what you want to be, but sometimes you are that. And the Bible says all of us are that way. Paul even said to the church, you acted like flesh. I couldn't speak to you as people of the Spirit. I had to speak. You're in the flesh. And you see, we have a choice in an argument whether or not it's even going to be able to live. Every single one of us that are married, a couple, the man and the woman, both, there can't be an argument if one of you just shuts up. You might even say this, you know what, baby, I'm not going to argue with you. Now, sometimes that even creates more of an argument. Well, I want, I'm not going to be done until I'm done talking. And it's like, well, hon, mm-mm-mm. As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. I heard this one time. I've shared this with many couples. It's actually a little cartoon I have in this little calendar. And it says, to keep marriage full to the brim and the cup. When you're wrong, admit it. And when you're right, shut up. How many of you would say, yeah, yeah, that's, that'd, be, that'd be a good one. Let's turn our Bibles to the New Testament. Now, I've always told you, if it's in the old, it's in the new. Amen? But it's a little different in the new. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. You getting something out of this? This is fun, isn't it? It is fun because here's the deal. Marriages are in trouble in America. Marriages in the church are in trouble in America because here's the deal. That 50-50 I gave you, the 50% to one, one of every two airplanes crashing, one of every two marriages crashing, it's in the church and out of the church. It doesn't matter whether it's in or out. And so my point is, as a pastor, man, I'm, I'm concerned about that, and I want to speak to that. But I don't want to just put myself in the mix. I want to put what God says about it in the mix. Now, we know what the curse is. We know what the tendency is. We know that there's a desire there that the lady, you want to just say, man, just do it the way I'm saying to do it, and it'll work. Ephesians 5.22, verses 
or chapter 5, let's look at verses 22 through 33. I'm going to just read this all the way through, and it'll be up here on the screen. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as, everybody say as, to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Now stop for a minute. How many of you think Jesus walks around saying, I'm the head of the church? I mean, hallelujah, I've just got all this power flowing. No, he's not cocky like that. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, he goes back to them, love your wives. Well, Lord, how am I supposed to do that? Just as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. And, that, and he did it that he might sanctify her or set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. And, man, I'm telling you, men, your wife has some glory, and you can draw it out. I've talked to you about that. In fact, we looked at this scripture with us, with us guys. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Now, ladies, I'm going to ask you, what part in that would you not follow? If a man treats you like Jesus treats the church, that would be easy to follow, wouldn't it? Now, notice this. Because we're members of his body. For this cause, everybody say, for this cause. For marriage, a man shall leave his father and mother. Don't keep clinging back at the house. You need to move out. Can I hear an amen? And shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Let me just say something about that real quick. Before God ever gave Adam a wife, God gave Adam a job. He told Adam to do something, and before he got, gave him Eve, he was employed. He was tending the garden. He was farming. He was gardening. He was taking care of the ground. And so I'll tell you this. Anybody comes to me and wants to get married, and the guy doesn't have a job, I'm going to say, hey, Counseling's over. You need to make sure you have a job. I can't, I can't, we can't, we, we can't go any further. Because how are you going to protect? How are you going to guide? How are you going to provide? Now notice this. This cause, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. Flesh. Now, there's a physical aspect to that, but there is also a spiritual and relational aspect 
one. How's this decision made? Two becoming one. The mystery is great, this mystery. But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Now, let me stop here and let me talk of this for just, just a, a couple minutes. Because men and women need something different in the marriage. Husbands and wives need something different. And it's spoken to us right here in verse 33. It says at the very end, it says that the husband is to love his wife. And the wife is to respect her husband. Do you know what, ladies, one of the biggest things to shut a man down from going forward, for having a goal, for wanting to lead, is continual disrespect. You say, well, I don't respect him because he's not worthy of it. He hasn't earned it. No, you need to extend it. You say, but he's not loving me like I need to be loved. Extend it. And guys, I've got a counseling class if you're not doing that part that you're supposed to do as well. We've already kind of talked a little bit about it. But there is, if you're loving your wife the way Jesus is loving the church, that respect should be given. Because a man that is constantly beaten down and beaten down and beaten down and beaten down, ultimately he's just going to say, well, what's the use? It doesn't matter what I do. I, I just can't win. And so he goes to the bar, he pops some tops, he so, you know, sucks down some suds, and he's just like, man, I'm done. Church right now, not that I would, but if I could go in bars all around Phoenix, I will guarantee you at least half of the men that are at that bar have had something go wrong in their marriage. You see... What we're seeing here is that God has given us the tools. We see where Christ is truly, where he is truly in the marriage. It's only where this is happening that there's a real easing of the curse. And it says that, well, in fact, do I have the verse 21? Do you know before this ever starts, there's verse 21? And I think this is the key to all of it. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, in the reverence of God. In other words, God, I reverence you so much that I don't want my will to be done. I want yours to be done. And so I am going to reverence you, and I'm going to subject myself. I'm going to submit myself in this relationship to her, and she is going to submit herself to him. And so this teaches us how we can decrease its effect of the curse within our marriages by emulating the virtue of Christ's relationship to the church. So wives are told to submit, to have that uh, willingness to not override or contend with 
Now, I just want to say this, and guys, I told you this before, but the wife that God gave you needs to be seen as a collaborator, a helper. She's going to have some viewpoints you'd never even thought of. And you need to at least hear her out on her viewpoints to find out the full scope. Amen? How many of you know God's emotional? How many of you believe that God has qualities that he put in a woman? That he didn't put in us. But he has them. I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit's sensitive. You can offend the Holy Spirit. You can hurt the Holy Spirit. He will fly away. If there's strife and division, he's not going to hang out. But where there's unity and there's love, boy, he's going to be right there speaking to you. And so it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the evil, church, look this way, that has been ingrained in the habits of mankind over 6,000 years of marital difficulty. And as believers in Christ and as kingdom men and women, we have been given everything. We need to live Christ-like lives and have a godly marriage. All of us have been given it. It's right here in Ephesians 5. In this fallen world, we have been given this by walking and living in the principles of the invisible world. Do you see it? From the beginning, God's focus has been love and respect between husband and wife. Women, guys, listen, you need to love your wife. You need to find out what it means to love her. You need to find out what, it, what, what her language of love is. You know, this is one thing about guys that I know to be true is a lot of times the, it's kind of like hunting. Ladies, just let us talk for a minute. It's kind of like hunting. After you, after you get what you're hunting, you're not quite as passionate about hunting. So you stop hunting. And I'm not talking try to find another wife. I'm talking about the way you wooed her and courted her and dated her. Don't stop doing that. I don't care if you've been married 60 years. Keep on doing it. Ladies, would you still respond to it? Go ahead. I want you all to raise your hands on that one. You, how many? Yeah, you ladies, you still respond to that. That's the way you are. Now, respect your husband the way the Bible teaches. And how does the Bible teach? Just like the church respects Jesus. Stay positive. Live joyfully. Be the thermostat in your home. When he comes home, it should be a good thing. Honey, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so, you just make life so good. You say, yeah, you just don't know my husband. Well, just start acting like that. Respect his opinion. Appreciate his ideas. Be thankful. Smile at him. Show your love physically. Don't nag or be contentious. Hello? 
I'm just going to go real quick down this road and I'm going to get off of it. But we need to go down it. Solomon was married to 700 women and had 300 concubines. This guy had trouble. God never intended you to have more than one, okay? But Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and I want you to hear some things that he said. In chapter 19, because he doesn't just have one, he's got 700 of them. So he's probably hearing some things, you know, daily. But he says in chapter 19, verse 13, the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. And if I could keep that in the background, I would, but I won't. Just to put the point of what he's trying to say. Then he goes on in chapter 21. He, just, he, he writes chapter 20. He's like, hey, I've got to go back to this. And in verse 9, he says, it's better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Now he's getting a little more detailed. He's like, I've got to get away. Then he goes on in verse 19, and he said, actually, it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. Wow, Solomon, you're pretty strong. And then he goes in chapter 27, verses 15 through 16, and he says, A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind, and he grasps oil with his right hand. The point is this. This may seem a little bit harsh, and I'm, I'm, you know, not trying to come down on you ladies. Do you feel like I am? I hope you're all doing this. I'm not trying that at all. That's not my goal. But I see that these things are things that in today's marriages need addressed. When we think about the effect of con- or cantankerous people that they have around those that are with them, you can better understand the wisdom of Solomon in these passages. But I leave you with this last verse. And it's in the book of Romans. And I quoted it earlier. But he says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, Be at peace with all men. And you know what? It's, it's more possible, I think, than what we oftentimes realize. It can be not unlike what I just shared earlier. Just don't argue. You don't have to argue. You don't have to keep the conversation going. In fact, sometimes it's better to say, you know what? This would be a thing that I would say, uh, whether you're the lady or the guy, you know what? Right now is not a good time for me to talk about this because I don't want to say something that I will have to go into my prayer closet and repent of and then have to come to you and apologize for. Now, I know, in the heat of the moment, that is not an easy thing to do. But remember, if we're walking by the Spirit, it's a lot easier. So, really, I think one of the biggest things we need to understand and realize how to do is how do I walk in the Spirit? Because the Bible says, if I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And sometimes the lust of the flesh is, I've got to have the last word. But if you're right, just shut up. If you're wrong, admit it. And just say, hey, babe, I'm, I'm wrong. You're right. And let's just move forward. Now, there's a lot more to preach about on marriage. 
But how many of you got something out of that? Do you see where the curse has brought people? And that if left untouched by God, that's why marriages are, you know, crashing and burning. Because it's not all about you. When you look at Jesus, it's not about him. It's about us. When Jesus came, this world at Christmas that we celebrate, it wasn't about him. It was about us. It was about forgiving you of your sins. Even though you've done nothing to earn it, you've done everything not to earn it. You don't deserve it, yet you got it. You got grace when you should not have received it. You had mercy when you should have had wrath. You see, so if we will keep in mind what Jesus has done for us and live like Jesus did, man, don't you see how the world will be fixed? Somebody says, well, it's just not that simple, Pastor. But it's got to start there. It's got to start there. And I would say this right now to any marriage that's in difficulty. Because I truly believe that there's not an unguilty party within marriage in some way. You know, one of the greatest Christmas presents you can give your marriage this year is to just simply say, you know what, hon? For all the things that I've done that has hurt you, that has held you back, any times I've put you down, any times that I haven't encouraged you, any time that I haven't respected you, any time I haven't loved you, would you just, would you please forgive me for that? I honestly repent. And I want to just, I want to start from here. And I want to go forward. As far as it depends on you. Bow with me. Father, as we close this time together, I pray, you would, I pray that you would not close this subject in our minds and in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would repair the marriages in our nation. Because, Lord, it's the marriages that make up our homes. It's the marriages that make up our families. It's the families that make up our communities. It's the families that make up our churches. And, Lord, all of this makes up our nation. So because the family is under attack and ultimately marriage is under attack, we're dealing with so much. We ask, Lord, that this Christmas you would infuse your love in a fresh way in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our churches, our communities. And, Lord, especially in this nation. And I pray, Lord, that as far as it depends upon us, every one of us, when we leave this place, would live at peace with men. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Did you get something out of it? Good. Go your way today. I know that the Lord is with you, goes before you. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.